0: I'm going to continue looking at the order of Melchizedek and there's so much to teach on this Um, and in some respects, in fact go to Psalm 110 folks if you don't mind, in some respects everything that we do at the gathering is about this and quite frankly everything that we do in the Christian life should be about this. The order of Melchizedek is not some side teaching, it's not some um, you know, peripheral thing, it is actually central to the Christian faith. And you can't function adequately or effectively as a believer unless you know about the Order of Melchizedek or the King-Priest Ministry, the Royal Priesthood. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is because this psalm, Psalm 110, and, and is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, which means it's important. Okay. And it's all based on, I believe, a vision that David had. It's a psalm of David. And as I said, a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, David had a vision of Jesus as Lord at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I don't know if he knew his name was Jesus, but he definitely knew there was someone, capital S, at Yahweh's right hand. And he said, he's my Lord. And when you confess Jesus as Lord, then... Things happen. When you and I confess face him as Lord, the Bible says we get saved. We get born again just by acknowledging Jesus as Lord. And so what I want to, to say to you is this, okay? Um, I, I, I do a whole teaching on this, but I don't really want to get into that. I just want to say it in passing. In fact, if you look at the last thing Jesus said in the Bible, uh you know the, the the red words of Jesus that in Revelation 22, and he identified himself as the as David's. Um, David was his ancestor. Let's. I'll just read it to you, Revelation 22. Uh, and Jesus said, just in the last few verses before the end of the book, he said this: "I, Jesus, or I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify you." to you, sorry, verse 16, these things in the congregations. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He said, I am David's offspring. I am David is my ancestor, but he also says, I am David's root, which means David came from Jesus and Jesus came from David. That's literally what it says. And what we have to understand is, is that the Bible identifies David as being Jesus' ancestor. Okay, now here's a funny thing. In the natural, and in the natural, an impossible thing. Because David says, there's someone at Yahweh's right hand, and he's my Lord. A thousand years before Jesus walks the earth. So David became the father of Jesus as as an ancestor. Amen? The son of David is what they called Jesus, isn't it? David's greater son. So as Jesus said to the religious folks back then, if the Messiah is David's son, why then does David call him Lord? Amen? Amen? So, David, this is what I want you to understand. David fathered in the earth what he saw in the glory. He saw someone at the right hand of the majesty, and he said, That man is my Lord, and, you know, he is the Lord. He's Adonai. And David fathered in the earth what he saw in the glory. Amen? You and I are supposed to father or mother, or give birth in the earth to what we see in the glory. And what did he see that tells us here? He says, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit you at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Yahweh shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule you in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be willing, your people shall be volunteers in the day of thy power. Listen to this. If you're not volunteering, God will not force you. Amen? Uh, God is not in the business of conscripting people. You have to volunteer. Amen? There's no heavenly national service. You're not pressed into service. There are no press gangs. If you're not willing, God won't force you. And that's the whole point, I believe, of the gathering and and of uh, what we're about, is that God is looking for people to say, I sign up, I'm responsible. In the beauties of holiness and the womb of the warning, you of the Jew of your youth, Yahweh has sworn and will not repent, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What did David see about this person at Yahweh's right hand? He saw he was a lord and a king, And he was over everything, but he also saw he was a priest. And that's what David fathered in the earth. Now, it took many generations, but I I put it to you, I believe this. You don't have to, but I do. I think if David hadn't had this vision of Jesus, he could not and would not have been the ancestor of Jesus. Because he had to conceive it in his inner man. He saw a man, a person, a being, at God's right hand, who was king and priest. And that vision, uh, I believe, made David king over Israel and sustained his kingdom. It made him the most powerful man on earth. If you go and study out the kingdom of David, while he was king, and of his son Solomon until Solomon messed up. But they were the world's superpower at that time, and nations paid them homage. And and there's all kinds of uh, resources to prove that. There wasn't a backwater country when David was on the throne, or Solomon. All the kings brought tribute to Solomon, didn't they? Why? Because David had a vision of something that transformed his kingdom and made it the most powerful kingdom on earth. Why? Because his Lord was was Jesus. And I just reading again this morning um, about that time when the prince came from far east and said to Queen Victoria, what's the secret of Britain's greatness? And she said, here it is, the Bible, the open Bible. So when we have a heavenly vision of the true Dimension of authority in heaven, the throne of God, which is the most real place there is, the throne room of God. There's no, there's no place more real. And when David had that, and, and I believe was ushered into that realm, it transformed him. And that's what gave him, I believe, the supernatural power and authority to be the king of Judah and Israel. So... He fathered on the earth what he saw in the glory. When you and I get this vision of Jesus as the king priest after the order of Melchizedek, what will it do for you and I? There's so much that I have to teach on this, and yet I'll confess, I feel like a novice. Because the mystery of Melchizedek is so vast, so great, so wonderful that we're only just stepping into the waters on the seashore. But God wants his way out in the middle of the ocean when it comes to Melchizedek. Because a revelation of Melchizedek, or Christ as Melchizedek, and our role in the order of Melchizedek, will transform society, transform humankind. I believe that. So let's look a little bit at Melchizedek, the person, um, if we go back to Genesis chapter 14, and we'll see how uh, Abraham, or Abram as he was at the time, encountered this myst- mystical, mysterious being called Melchizedek. We don't have time to read it all, but we're quite aware, I'm sure, of the story of the battle that took place when. Um, they they were invading kings that took Lot, Abraham's nephew, and there was Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a battle, and of course, it says here, uh, they they came and told Abraham that his his, uh, nephew was taken. So he went after him with his trained servants, it says, verse 14, and pursued them unto Dan, and then of course they won the battle and verse 16 says, and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And then it says the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Cheddar Leoma and of the kings that were with him, because they were Abraham's allies. He was in confederacy a little bit with them um, at the valley of Shaveh, which is the king's valley And It tells us, and then watch what it says. Watch verse 18, so I want to begin here. And Melchizedek, king of Salem. And Salem was the old uh, reference for Jerusalem. Okay, so Salem and Jerusalem, it's the same place. And it says Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And of course, as we'll see in the New Testament, it references us quite extensively. And so people say, well, who was this mysterious man, the King of Salem? And some people believe that it was what took place here was a Christophany. Does anyone know what that is? A theophany. Christophany means a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus. In other words, an appearance of Jesus before he was made flesh because he was always the eternal word, the eternal son, the second person of the Godhead. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. Now, they were not the elements that were used in uh, uh, by the Levitical priesthood, which came later. Now, remember, Levi hasn't been born yet. So, the priesthood of Levi that we understand, the Levitical, the Aaronic priesthood, that wasn't even in the earth yet. So, this Melchizedek, who we will see as a priest, the Melchizedek priesthood predates the Levitical one. And people say, well, you know, Levi received tithes, the tribe of Levi. So we should should be tithing because they tithe in the Old Testament. That's what people say, isn't it? And Levi received tithes. But Melchizedek was there before Levi. And the Bible actually tells us in Hebrews that Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek because he was in Abraham's loins. So what I want to say to you today is there's a greater priesthood Than the Levitical one. Amen. And here's the the good news you're part of it. Hallelujah. Melchizedek, king of Salem, and Salem means peace. So Melchizedek is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. So you have to understand that peace can only come through righteous government. So there has to be a king of justice and righteousness before there can be peace. And this Melchizedek, he has it all. And some people believe this was actually Jesus appearing to Abram before he was actually the word made flesh. Just like we we just read David said, there's someone at God's right hand. He had a vision of it. But that's just uh, speculation. Uh, You might believe that. I think there's a strong argument for it. Some say it was just some guy, some, you know, or some people believe he was one of the, uh, I I think some people believe he was Shem and different things. There's different, in other words, it's a mystery. There are different theories, speculations. Who was this man? Was he just a man that lived as the king of Salem? Or was there some mysterious origin to him? Was it Jesus himself before Jesus was the Son of Man? Anyway. He brought forth bread and wine, which, as we know, are the elements of communion. Okay? I think it was if it was a Levitical priest, it would be bitter herbs. Anyway, but he brought bread and wine. And he was the priest. Watch this. He was not just a king, the king of righteousness and the king of peace. He was a priest of the Most High God. So he was a king-priest. And when David saw the eternal word at God's right hand, who we know in the Bible identifies in the New Testament as Jesus, it says he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. (coughs) There are orders in the earth. There's the Masonic order. Amen? Which I believe is the order of Baal. There are the orange order, you get uh, all kinds of orders, you know, um, and guilds even. And some of them have mysteries and secrets, but brothers and sisters, this is a heavenly order. He was the priest of the Most High God. And watch this, it says... This is Melchizedek says, and he blessed him and said. We don't just bless people by sending them a nice wee greeting card. You know, if you get into the the bookshop, Christian bookshop, and you get these nice wee cards. Bless you on your ordination. or bless you, brother. I've been thinking of you. These Helen Steiner Rice things with the nice wee poems. A blessed sister, so and so, I sent her a nice wee card. No, you blessed by saying, blessing is a verbal thing. Amen. Laying on of hands and speaking. Amen. And I believe that Melchizedek laid hands on Abram because that was the custom. Amen. And let me just say this to you: this is what you should be doing with your children and your grandchildren. Because that's biblical blessing. Lay hands on them and or speak words, well, speak words over them. Don't say you you don't, you idiot, you'll never amount to anything. Bless them and say, you'll be mighty in the earth. You are a blessed generation. And so blessing is a verbal thing. He blessed him and said, Oh, blessed be, Abram, of the Most High God. See, he's the priest of the Most High God, Melchizedek, and he's saying to this man, Abram, Be blessed because you're of the Most High God. You're part of the family. You're God's covenant partner. Be blessed. Now, God had already blessed him. Amen? He says, I will bless you and make your name great. And he says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. But although God had blessed him, he needed this blessing from Melchizedek. You might be, oh, I'm a Christian. It's all these folks. I don't go to church, though. I don't like the people at church. They're all two-faced hypocrites. (laughs) It's just me and Jesus in my living room, man. That's how we roll. Jesus blesses me because it's just him and I. It's Jesus and me all through life's sorrow. Amen. But no. Jesus will bless you in your living room, folks. He'll bless you when you go to the supermarket. He'll bless you when you go to work. But you need the blessing of the priest. Or the minister or the pastor, you understand? You need human, you need the blessing of your fellow Christians. You, you're not called to be a Lone Ranger Christian. We're part of the body of Christ. But I don't like the folks in those church. That church, we'll find another one. Leave the church of the hypocrites behind and join the church of the saints of God. But I'm, I'm full of hearts. Well, get them healed. Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Now, there's, there's a debate here. And I don't know that it's a debate because some people say, does it mean that Abram was the possessor of heaven and earth? Or does it mean that God, the Most High God, was the possessor of heaven and earth? And the answer is yes. They're both, Really? Because although it really refers to God, Abram was God's covenant partner. Which meant that everything God possesses, Abram possesses. That's why the Bible says, Abraham is the heir of the the cosmos or the universe. That's why the Bible says that you and I, all things are ours. Because we're in covenant with Almighty God. So he says, you need to be blessed, Abram. By the one who possesses, and the word can also mean the creator of heaven and earth. The Hebrew can mean both. And blessed be the most high God. See, a priest job, like I said to you earlier on, we're not here just to be ministered to, we're here to minister. Oh God, Lord bless me. Yeah, well, the fastest way to be blessed by God is to bless God. Because God is no man's debtor. And if you keep blessing him, he'll say, Well, you think you can out-bless me? Let me tell you, honey, you can't out-bless me. The more you bless me, I'm going to bless you right back. See, that's the, the God of the Bible. It's not a God of religion. And we need to know the God of the but the real, true, and living God. And that's why we bless him all the time. That's why we, you know, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. But I don't feel that blessing. Blessing isn't a feeling. Blessing is what comes out of your mouth. Bless you, Lord. Oh, he's, done it. he's gone and done it again. He's put me in debt. Sister Pearl has put me in debt again because she keeps blessing me. We need to get some more blessings in here, angels. Because I'll not be outdone by this woman. That's how God thinks. God is a giver, and He loves to give. And the more you give to Him, oh no, no I, I can't be debt. Have you taken a note? How many times is that? Get the blessings on. Amen. That's how God thinks. He's not sitting going, "Well, they can bless me all they want," but let me tell you right now, I'll not be blessed I'm back. I saw what they did in 1976. That's how some people think God is. I, am I right? Oh, but you don't know what I've done, pastor. Who cares? Part of the blessing is he cleanses and forgives. He doesn't have a memory of it. So it says here, and blessed be the most high. He's saying to, he to Abraham, bless you, Abraham. You're, you're of the most high God. And blessed be the most high God. See, a priest's job is to minister to the people and also to the Lord. A priest's job is to dispense blessing. And if you're a king priest, and you are, we looked at that and we'll look at it again, you are a king priest, like your master, like your Lord, like your Savior Jesus, who is a king priest in the order of Melchizedek or after that order, in other words, of that kind, a blessing dispenser, then you also are a blessing dispenser. And you bless by saying. When we look at the streets around this building, we don't say, ah, they're all hell bound sinners. Ah, they're all going to hell. No, we say, Lord, we release blessing. Blessing, the blessing of knowing you, the blessing of salvation, the blessing of freedom from their darkness, the blessing of being a light here in this place. Bless, 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 bless. Because that's your job as a priest. And it's the king part of you that gives it the authority. Mm -hmm. Amen? It's not just, oh Lord, see, a lot of people think being a priest is just, and it is being an intercessor, but it's not just, oh Lord, you know, bawling and squalling and squealing and crying, oh Lord, do something. That's not being a priest. You're a king priest, so you decree the will of God, and you decree the blessing, because only the blessing will change things. So he's blessing Abram, he's blessing God, which has delivered your enemies into your hand, and then it says, and he gave him tithes of all, which means Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Okay, now we think, oh well, that's it. And, and people build doctrines in this. Well, Abraham was a tither, we need, to, we need to tithe every penny. Let me just say this, Abraham did not tithe every penny. And here's why. Until he met Melchizedek, he had nobody to tithe to. Let me say that again, until he met Melchizedek, he had nobody to tithe to. Oh, but he tithed him. He gave him tithes. Of all the Bible qualifies this in Hebrews. Let's just go there. We'll see it. Hebrews chapter seven. We'll come back to keep your finger on Genesis fourteen. There was a tithing thing uh, going on in the under the the Torah, the law of Moses, and a lot of people try to transfer that over into the new t- the new covenant. I've got good news for you if you want to tie under the law of Moses. And it's this you're underpaying your tithe. And that good news, you owe God a lot of money. Because there were three tithes, three tenths under the law of Moses. And two of them were annual tithes. And the third one was a. Every three years, time I teach on this at Bible college, so it works out roughly twenty-three percent. So who's been tithing twenty-three percent? Oh, I'm, t- I'm a tither. Okay, so where's your twenty-three percent? Because that's a biblical tithe. Oh, oh well, oh well. I'm just funning with you, but but people get all, I mean I get I get people. Pastor, they, they took my car last week. They're coming from my house this week. I've tithed every single bit of income I've ever had. And I give in top. I give till it What am I doing wrong? What you're doing wrong is you're under the law of Moses. Amen? In the wrong way. I mean, the law is wonderful. You know, this is something that we've been... Rachel's been studying law and grace under Pastor Alec. The law is wonderful. But you're not meant to live under an external code. You're supposed to live by the law written in your heart. Hebrews chapter 7, here's what it says. Ah, uh, Hold on. It says here, uh, Hebrews chapter 7. Watch this. Verse 1. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. We've read that, haven't we? to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Important to understand that. If you're also a king priest, righteousness and peace. Watch this. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, which is where the mystery comes in. What does that mean? Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, remains a priest continually. That's why a lot of scholars believe it was a Christophany. Look at this. Now consider how great this man was, this man Melchizedek, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham, and I need to say this, Abraham was God's covenant partner in the earth. I'm going to say this to you, there was nobody in the earth closer to God or higher in rank until they met Melchizedek. Amen. I'm going to say this to you, there's nobody higher in rank than you as a king priest in the earth. No president, no prime minister. Why? Because you can pray one prayer and remove them from office, they can never remove you from yours. You have the authority to go before God and say, get them out. And he answers those prayers. They don't have the authority anywhere to go and say, get them out. But they do try. But there's somebody greater than you. And that's the Lord you serve. And Abraham was the greatest man on earth at that time because he was the patriarch. Abraham is the father of faith to them that believe. Abraham, the Bible says, is the father of us all if you're in the household of faith, and he's our ancestor. And he was the greatest, he was God's covenant partner in the earth. There was no greater man. But it says here, consider then how great Melchizedek was, because Abraham gave him the tenth. The tenth of what? The spoils. Abraham wasn't walking about with all his wealth with him to say, I need to find a guy I can give my tithe to. So I'll bring my thousands of cattle I'll bring all my livestock I'll bring all my gold and silver that God gave him Genesis 13 verses 1 and 2 I'll carry my wealth everywhere in case I meet a preacher who's worthy of my tithe He's in a battlefield situation He's just destroyed his enemy but what he has is spoils and the Bible qualifies what he gave to Melchizedek was the spoils of war Abraham wasn't didn't set up a direct debit every month to tithe to somebody because until he met this man, there was nobody to tithe to. Oh, but Abraham was a tither. Yes, on this one occasion, and it was the spoils or the plunders of war. You cannot build a tithing doctrine on Abraham tithing. You can't do it. As if, you know, he went to church every week and tithed. And it actually takes care of it. He says, truly they that are the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, a different priesthood, by the way, an inferior priesthood, by the way, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is of their brethren. But they came out of the loins of Abraham. And it says here, he whose geology is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. In other words, it's saying Melchizedek Received tithes from Abraham. And without all contradiction, or in other words, without any dispute at all, the less is blessed of the better. Which means, if Melchizedek blessed Abraham, Mel- Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Oh, Wow. How can you be greater than God's covenant partner? How can you be greater than the one who is the heir of the cosmos? Yes, I believe so. And if he hasn't, he certainly represents as a type Jesus. Now, look what it says. Here men that die receive tithes, but there he received them, receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. It's saying men here receive tithes. What men? The tribe of Levi. Because when this was written, Hebrews was written, as scholars might say, might have been Paul, I believe it was Paul, but whoever it was, there was still a priesthood going on, a Levitical priesthood. And those men received tithes. It didn't mean your pastor or your evangelist or your evangelistic association receives tithes. He's talking about there's still a Levitical priesthood kicking around but he, they weren't part of it anymore. And they were part of a greater priesthood. That's the whole message of Hebrews. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 talks about Melchizedek and Jesus being the high priest. All priests answer to the high priest. Did you know that? Who's our high priest? It ain't the high priest in the Levitical priesthood. Because let me tell you, they crucified Jesus. It's Jesus who's our high priest. But there's still guys receiving tithes. But there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he loves. And as I may so say, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Then he goes on to say, if it was all by the Levitical priesthood, there would be no need for another priest to come after the order of Melchizedek. The problem with many believers today, folks, is we're still living under this bondage of somehow or other we need to pay tithes, but there's no Levitical priesthood anymore. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pay a tenth, I'm not you can pay whatever you want. I'm not saying you shouldn't pay twenty percent or twenty three percent or whatever. A lot of people strive to pay ninety percent and live off the tenth. You give cheerfully what you've decided in your heart to give. Now, I'm not trying to demolish or, or, or attack people who tithe. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. Because some people find that, that it's a good deal to make. Lord, I'll give you my tenth. What I'm trying to say is, if you're going to tithe, don't do it under legalism and bondage to the law of Moses. Because that, that's all done away with. There is no more Levitical priesthood. The minute Jesus said it's finished, the Levitical priesthood died. The need for it died. Amen. They still carried on. They still went. You know, you know, a lot of churches where God has said it's dead, the church of sadness or Ichabod, I'm out of here. They're still carrying on. There's still some of them filling the pews. They're still having worship, but they may be marrying Adam to Steve. You understand? And opening up to prayer rallies. But it's Ichabod, there's no more priesthood going on there. See, I believe what we're about in the gathering is God wants to teach us to be king priests after the order of Melchizedek because that's the only priestly order that's still valid and it's an eternal one. And king priests need to know how to rule as a king and intercede as priests. Because you have that, you know, Jesus, the Bible says Jesus intercedes before his father for you and I. You know, Jesus is standing before the father right now saying, you know, help, help Ellen. She really needs strengthening today. He doesn't have to do that. He chooses to do it. And he chooses to take that responsibility for every one of us. And when we pray And God says, who's this? One of mine, Father. Then the answer, yes. Tell them yes. You vouch for them, Jesus? Yeah, oh yeah, they're they're, they're in the order. They're in the order. (laughs) They're in the order. Amen. Yeah, I thought I recognized that uniform. Amen. I thought I recognized that glory that was clothing them. They're one of yours, aren't they, son? Yes. Oh, yes, then, their petition's granted. Amen. It's all about intercession and it's all about decree. King priest. So we bless as king priests. And because we're kings, the authority is behind our blessing. But because we're priests, our heart is a heart of intercession. Look at so and so, they need help, Father. I pray for sister so-and-so. I pray for brother so-and-so. Lord, at this time, strengthen him. Like Margaret was saying with Alec. Oh, Alec needs healing. So Alec's friends and family and church, fellow church folks, they get round the throne and say, Lord, because it's the body of Christ, a body of king priests, a ruling order of, of astonishing authority but also that heart of compassion. Because we all know people with loads of authority, but no compassion. So king priests have the whole package. And that's how you become Christ-like. Now let's flip back over to, so he blessed them, okay? And then we'll look at what happened. He says he gave him tithes of all, meaning the tithes of of what he'd just taken off the the enemy army. He said, I'm going to give you 10%. Can I bless you? Can I bless you, Melchizedek? I'm going to give you a tenth of what we just took off these guys. Then Abraham turned around, and the king of Sodom. Who would rather be speaking to the king of Salem or the king of Sodom? Amen. The king of Sodom obviously was a rascal. But he said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to yourself. They're still talking about the spoils of war. He says, give me the folks... Uh, because they'll be slaves. You just keep what you you keep what your know, the the stuff that you gathered the, the weaponry the jewelry whatever it was. And then Abraham who's had this encounter with Melchizedek and done a transaction of a tie with him and understood some things I believe has had revelation he turns to the king of Sodom I've 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 lifted up my hand unto Yahweh. I've li- I've taken an oath before God, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, I'm not going to take even a shoelace from you. Because I've, I've met Melchizedek, and he's blessed me. I don't need your transactions here. I don't need to do deals with the king of Sodom anymore, not that I ever did or wanted to, but I don't need to do that. Why? Because I'm in the heavenly economy now, of and I'm in the banking system of Melchizedek. I just banked 10% with Melchizedek. And he blessed me. And you know what? He's greater than I am. God blessed me with covenant, but I needed this Melchizedek person to bless me and now I'm 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 all in God's economy. It's God's gonna make me rich. No doing deals with the world. Not accepting your terms. I'm not going to the bank and accepting the terms of their loans. I don't need loans because God is my banker. and Melchizedek, he's his earthly representative and his heavenly one too. I'm banking in the, the bank of heaven. I will not take anything that's yours unless I'm somewhere, as some guy says, you know that guy, that king of Sodom, that rascal. He says, "I made Abraham rich. I ain't ever going to be in that position." He says, we well, can give the young men what they've eaten, and the portion of the men that went in the words, you can. They can get. They can get paid. But I'm not taking a penny from you." Amen. Why? Why is Abraham saying this? He could have been. He's already very rich. He could have been richer still. But he says, you can have it all. He says, uh, because I'm I'm, I'm partners with the Most High God, the creator and possessor of heaven and earth, and I just met his banker. I just met the guy who blessed me and says, oh, be blessed. And that is going to make me rich. The blessing of Melchizedek. The King Priest, the Priest of the Most High God, the King of Righteousness, the King of Salem, the guy who's sitting in Jerusalem, as King of Jerusalem the King of Jerusalem's going to make me rich because he just blessed me, and his word is good. See, we don't understand what he, what blessing means. We think blessing is oh bless, oh bless your darling heart. We don't understand if somebody blessed you in the Old Testament, it was an oath that that person was saying to you, I bless you, which means everything I have and everything I am is behind you to empower you to, to succeed. It was a covenant thing. And the thing is, if somebody blessed you, what it meant was if you failed, you could go to them and say, I just failed. And they say, well, I'll, I'll just replenish what you lost. You know, I'm, I'm the biggest dummy in ever to be in business. So every day I'm losing five grand in my business. And if somebody blessed you on a covenant basis, it meant you could go to them and they would they would say, well, oh, there's your five grand, that'll cover your losses. Here's another five grand, so tomorrow it's not as painful. I mean, just think about it, right? If if you were in covenant partnership just now with uh, Elon Musk or, or one of these really super rich guys, and they said to you, which is what this means here, you cannot fail because I've blessed you. What that means is, it's a blank check. If you mess up, use my name. Use my name in business. Go and meet that guy. He'll set you right. You'll get you'll get better rates if you use my name. So you go away. Well, I've got the back. Who, who's your back? Oh, Elon Musk or, you know, uh, Alan Sugar or some rich guy, Richard Branson. Oh, right, oh, you're in business with it? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's my covenant partner. Oh, my goodness, here we go. If he's backing you, we're in business. But if you lose, you could go away and make fortunes. But if you lose, you could go back to these guys and say, I made it messed up, and they'll say, oh, don't worry, we'll cover your losses, and give you some over on top. That's what the blessing of Yahweh is. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Why does he have no sorrow with it? Because you can't lose. And if you do suffer loss, he'll just replenish it. Anybody ever lost money by some dumb, foolish decision? You bought something you couldn't afford. You bought something and were ripped off or whatever. Did God replenish you? Yes, he did. We don't understand these things. That's why we need to understand King Priest ministry. That's why we need to... See, did David suffer loss as a king? Yes. Yes, he did. He suffered agonizing loss. He suffered setbacks. But did he die in his bed? A blessed, happy man. Yes, why? Because God was behind his kingdom, behind his throne. And how was God behind his throne? Because he had a vision. Of a king priest seated at Yahweh's right hand after the order of Melchizedek. And he understood this word, Melchizedek, king of peace, king of justice, king of righteousness. He is your guarantor. You know what it's like? You ever taken it alone and asked maybe your parents, will you be my guarantor? Amen, or your pal? Will you get. And if you're wise, if anyone ever asks you, say no, because the Bible says don't be anyone's. Amen? Why? Because nobody has that power or authority to... I mean, it might be somebody rich, they might be happy to do it. It might be your dad or your grandfather or whatever. But the point being is that no human can guarantee anybody. And it spoils the relationship. But, you know, God says... I'll, I'll be your backer, I'll be your provider, I'll be your financier, in fact I'll covenant with you, I'll be Jehovah Jireh, I'll be your provider, I, but what if I mess up, I'll still be your provider, amen, what if I'm dumb and lose all the money, I'll still be your provider, because I covenant to do it, that's what Melchizedek means. So anyway, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 5. What time do we have left? Another hour and a half, that's fine. Hebrews chapter 5, we'll just bring this to a close. We'll, We'll continue this theme, folks, because this is what the Lord wants us to understand in the earth today. Let me just tell you this right now. When you look around and you see shortages, when you look around and you see famine, when you look around and you see plague, when you look around and you see the prospect of war, and I, I don't feed myself on this stuff, but I do. I'm aware that it's getting more and more possible and plausible that there be war, because our governments are hell-bent, literally, on depopulating and changing everything. The great, re- the great reset isn't just, oh, we'll change a few things. It's changing everything, and what it means is we'll change everything. We most of these. Uh, most of these uh, parasites, which is what they think you and I are, by the way, dead. So we'll have far more to ourselves, and whatever's left among the parasites can be our slave class. Oh, that's yes, that's not true. That's not true. Well, read the Bible; it's true. Read history; it's true. Is it any? Have men changed? Is is the, is the heart of man changed from being deceitfully wicked? No. Have governments that don't know Jesus and reject Him have they become less wicked over time? No. They've arguably become more, more wicked over time. That's another sermon. Hebrews chapter 5. Let's just go from Hebrews chapter 4. So it's not just chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's 4, 6, and 7. Watch this. Verse 14 of Hebrews 4. Seeing then, seeing then, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Not, well, do be. We? Or do we not? Seeing then that we do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Our high priest is not on earth. And let me tell you right now that we're not talking about earthly priests as our high priest. As a, What I mean by that is we're not talking about popes. Who set themselves above everyone else are cardinals or clergymen, I'm a clergyman. You lay you lay people, I'm a clergyman. Give me your money. And I'm not just talking about Catholic popes, because there are plenty of Protestant ones. But we don't our high priest has passed into the heavens. He's not in a big cathedral somewhere. Yeshua, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, which means what we say. For we don't have a high priest, verse 15, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We don't have a high priest who doesn't know what we're going through. But was in all points tempted like we, like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted to give up. Jesus was tempted to stop going to church. Jesus was tempted to... He just go to the pub and drown his sorrows. He was tempted in all points like we are. don't tell me you've not had that temptation. Just to quit. I just may as well may as well live as like everyone else. What's the point of trying to be righteous and holy and Amen? Jesus had that temptation. Just think about this Jesus never had one person who, who was on his level to talk to. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace or the throne of favor that we may obtain mercy and find grace or favor to help in time of need. The throne is not a place of condemnation. It's a place of favor and acceptance and mercy and grace. Then it says, Hebrews 5 verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained by man and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices. So he's talking about being ordained into the priesthood. Verse 4, no man takes this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. Then it says, verse 5, so also the Christ, the Messiah, glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said to him, you're my son, today have I begotten you. Then verse 6, he quotes Psalm 110. He said also in another place, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What he's saying here is, God the Father called Jesus the Son into priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. It wasn't a a human ordination. It was God. And then he speaks about Jesus offered up prayers, supplications. He qualified for priesthood because he interceded. You are not a priest unless you are praying in intercession. You, you are one, you're called, but you're not yet chosen. In other words, the office is available to you, but you're not functioning in it until you're t- taking part in it. Verse 10, this is talking about Jesus. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I want to say this to you. If God keeps repeating something over and over and over again, don't we think that that's of the absolute most utmost vital importance? What is he telling us here? Telling us that we need to be looking at what this means. Of whom we have many things to say. Watch this. Look, this, this. look at this. We're going to close here, because, but there's a lot more we'll look at. But we'll close with this. Of whom we have many things to say. In other words, there's so much to teach on this. It's such a vast subject. There are many things to say. You say, well, you know, I've heard of this Melchizedek thing. but There's not a lot of books. There's not a lot of teaching. But there's a lot of revelation to be had, folks, because he says we have many things to say. But look what he says. Look what he says. Here's why you're not hearing them. Hard to be uttered seeing you are dull of hearing. See, I believe there's not as much teaching about the king-priest ministry, the royal priesthood, the Melchizedek order in the earth as there could be and should be because people don't want to because people know if you say to someone you're a king priest they're not necessarily thinking this but something in them says that sounds like a lot of responsibility. So I'd just rather sit and sing some hymns and let other folks do the praying let other folks do the interceding let other folks do the decreeing I'll just go to church and enjoy myself and I'll avoid any responsibility when they say to me, Can you do this? Oh no, 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 I'm too busy. I'm too busy to be involved in the ministry of being a Christian, which is the same thing as being a king priest. So anybody's ever ran a church or run a ministry will tell you, get in volunteers. Am I right? Can you help out? Oh no, oh no, 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 no. Oh no, I- I'm too busy. The World Cup's on, brother. I'm too busy watching the World Cup. Amen. What did he say? Your people will be volunteers in the day of your power. Talking about the Melchizedek Order, which means God will always. God has a generation that I believe is poised to say, "Amen, in, all in." Amen. Amen. I'll volunteer. But I haven't. I haven't said I need it. Doesn't matter. I'm, whatever you're offering, I'm volunteering. Don't do that with the, your pastor. Do it with the Lord. And then when your pastor asks you, oh, I've already committed. Look at this. We've got a lot of things to say, but it's hard to say them because you're dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, verse 12, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. When, for the t- In other words, by this point you should be teaching this. You have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you've become that you need milk and not strong meat. Every Christian should be craving strong meat. But some just want milk. Jesus loves you, this we know, for the Bible tells us. That's enough for me. I'm away home to watch the World Cup. Amen. And eat my utterly butterly on toast. Because Lurpak is for the King Priest Order, friends. Amen? Lurpak is for the Order of Melchizedek. If you want to live like a king, you have to eat Lurpak, am I right? For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He's a babe in Christ. He is un- immature. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. That full age means. Mature, strong meat, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We'll leave it there today. Uh, we, but then Hebrews 6 talks about it, Hebrews 7 talks about it. It's the very centre of our, uh, our life as believers. We're not called, remember Bert saying that we're not called to be beggars, we're called to be kings and priests. We're called to function as kings and priests. You know, here's the thing, right? Great illustration. You can be in the royal family and perform royal duties and have the honor of that and have the prestige of that and have the responsibility of that and the humility to carry that and understand that that, that if you're in the royal family, you you, you have responsibilities. Or you can go away and make Netflix documentaries and berate the very thing that you came from. You see, there are real royals and real princesses and there are Poundland princesses. And we're seeing that played out in front of us right now, are not we? We're seeing someone who walks away from responsibility Because they need to be humble. They need to to take the response. They need to do things. You know, do you really think that the Queen, as she was, and the King now, they get up on a wet, cold Tuesday morning and say, Where am I going today? Oh, you're going to Barnsley. Do Do you know what I mean? Do you really think they go, Wow, can't wait? Or they go, Well, that's my duty, that's my responsibility. I signed up for that. I took a covenant oath. I took a coronation oath. And I said that I would be there. And that's maturity. Immaturity is leaving the royal family and complaining. But you know that Christians do that every single week. And sometimes on a Sunday, ah, see that woman that sits in the, the second row. She drew me a dirty look last week. I'll no be gone today. I'll not be gone if she's there. Amen. You know, the pastor didn't even shake my hand last week. I know I had all those hundreds of people, sh- and but he just looked at me and I thought, he's going to come over and say it's so good to have you. But you know, he did not So I'll not be there. And if I do go, I'll no, I'll no be, I'll only put 50p in the plate abdicating responsibility when we're called to be after the order of Melchizedek, king-priests. Read Revelation 1, Revelation 5. That's, that's our destiny, to be kings and priests and reign on the earth. Not in an arrogant, conceited, tyrannical way, but in a way that says I take responsibility. Whether it's freezing, I'll get up and I'll pray. I'll put the fire on and I'll wait, but I'll be there. Even while it's still heating up, I'll be praying. Uh, when they need me, at the meeting, I'll be there. When the Lord tells me, get out of your bed and pray, I'll get out of my bed and pray. Not, oh Lord, I'll turn over and I ignore him. Whatever it is, be at your posted duty because that's what a king priest does. And we do have an example of our late queen and our king um, of, of seeing it in the natural. People functioning in the role they were called to function. Even when you think, well, like I said, why would you want to go up and go to that place? And and especially now, King Charles, it looks like everywhere he goes, people are chucking eggs at him and stuff. But you see, they'll throw eggs at you. Mm-hmm. They'll throw slights at you because it's part of the price you pay that people don't understand. You, you know, you don't walk out there and go, I'm a king priest. They'll think you're nuts. But you know who you are, and the devil knows who you are, and the devil will stir them up to say, that's the freaks again. We know these things are so. But we are called to function in this order of Melchizedek. And we'll look more into this because it's, It's what we're about. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Not because you're plebs. God has no plebs in the kingdom because you're a king priest after the order of Melchizedek. And when God begins to show that in you, through you, and on the outside of you, when the glory is seen upon you, that's when that light will draw them. And you and I, must believe for that to manifest in our life and in our lifetime. Amen.